an imposter and an outsider who looked upon all Alaska as just scenery and even the lifestyles we'd employ to survive and flourish in such an inhospitable home. It's just things upon the stage. He used the great land as just a backdrop as he was spiraling down to the last moment of his own destruction and the props he dashed to pieces for nothing. Welcome to True Crime 49. The little boy is riding the four-wheeler. Mom and Dad, a blurred sketch garbled in one of his first memories. The gentle hum-pop of the faithful family quad barely lifting any dust off of the gravel road. The wind softly squints a tear from his eye. Mom saw his daffodil eyelashes blink twice. He lifted his fingers into the wind, his hand dreaming up and down. Mama slid her arm in around him a little closer. His ribs breathing, he smelled warm like sunshine. Two-year-old Marshall had been trying out his own name lately, running around the cabin, every once in a while stomping his little foot. Macho, he would say, stomping his little foot. Macho. His belly poking out, and he would squeal and laugh and run and jump onto the beanbag. The motor steady putting along, a young family smiling every time they look at each other, warm and holding close, bumping down the road to the sleepy boat ramp. The ice had just went out of the river. In the over 660,000 square miles of Alaska, in the center is 54 square miles of manly hot springs. In 1902, the hot springs were discovered on the banks of the Tanana River. A homestead and farm were started, and soon the area began to flourish with miners. The small village is located 150 miles from Fairbanks, Alaska. The mining town and hot spring population bloomed to 500 in 1910 before its all-time low of just 29 manly residents in 1920. We call the things we can see the weather. What makes the wind go wherever it blows? The air is wet and juicy at sea level. The sun caressing his hot hands over her in the daylight, always leaving her in the darkness come evening. She tumbles in the turbulences and blue-black heavens until he returns in the morning. When he lifts her chin and shines light upon her face, he always finds her eyes wet with the morning dew. Thus the airs move up and down, back and forth, through the steamy giants in the jungle, through seasons and through the ice age, the air drifting, unexpecting, drifting and sucked into the inlet of the Bell Jet Ranger helicopter. It's running two main rotor blades, 33 feet in diameter, a turbo shaft. On one end, the big blades, on the other end, a jet engine. The inlet sucking in so much air it cannot blow it out the back fast enough. Gathering all the air the pressure builds and builds and pours into the combustion chamber. 
The fuel nozzles greet the terrible inrush of air and hoses them down in kerosene jet fuel. The air had been playing at the base of the dam when the igniter cracks the atmosphere aflame. The motor is howling, spinning faster. You cannot see the pieces anymore, waiting to show you what she can do. This nimble minx, warbird, quietly staring at you from out on the tarmac. Two choppers each with the door taken off. Hard points can hang you right out into the open. The farther you lean, the more you can see. Not for the faint of heart. On the stick tonight is Mr. Tom Davis, ladies and gentlemen, a combat pilot. Did two tours in Vietnam. State troopers decked out in SWAT gear. M16 with a scope. M16 with iron sights. Davy has his long gun. He's in the other chopper with the lieutenant. The pilots can see each other through the plexiglass. They can hear each other over the headsets. They exchange hand signals and lift out of sight. This is serious business they're heading out to. The jet ranger clicking along mathematically. The shadow following like a maniac across the terrains of the subarctic. Something is a foul in Manly Hot Springs, and there's something to be said for not living at the end of the road. When the town's population declined, it left behind a group of residents who persevered through cold winters and rugged subsistence summers of cutting wood, growing and canning food, or hunting game. The hot springs were enclosed and used to extend the garden-growing gear. Instead of a bustling resort town, the small village returned back to simpler things. At the end of 1985, 80 residents occupied Manly Hot Springs. That number would change by Mother's Day. The tedious slumping of the road car tires down into each large pothole. Hours on hours, the road car loaded with a canoe strapped to the roof. Behind the seat on the floorboard, the 12-gauge shotgun. From dusty perches, bandits would watch the stagecoach, heavy laden with silver dollars. The man on the bench riding shotgun, caressing his street sweeper, moving like a god of war through the enemy trenches in Europe and the isles of the Pacific. What does it do? If you take one ball of lead, it slips perfectly down into the open barrel. It will only take 12 of them to make one pound block of lead. The walls of the tube is smooth. They found they could put in even more gunpowder and release even more power. What does a twelfth of a pound of lead do? Splashed with a full bucket of ice water arms out like Jesus, your breath stole away, you are dripping everywhere, you are dripping off of the wall behind yourself. Slipped into a gun sock, a little out of sight, is the 30 out 6, which is to say, 30 caliber. A bullet about as wide as a school pencil, state of the art, peered at through a scientific magnifying glass for the war department in the year 19-06. It sounds so cool to say. The 
30 caliber round has been recorded to have at one time or another taken down every land animal in Alaska. Grizzly bear, polar bear, moose, even the walrus. You could say that on this earth, the energy that is stored inside of Chinese gunpowder, the heaviness of soft lead bullets, and the wetness that our flesh and bone cling together with, the 30 out 6 is the perfect balance. It'll go right down through the middle. The back of the bullet has been narrowed as it flies through the air, twisting like a drill bit, longer, straighter. It was designed for shooting men. From a distance, and delivering a terrible shockwave of energy, and a brutal, juicy pop. Seconds before the sound wave of the gunpowder washes over a slumped and bloody mess. On the car seat next to his leg, a 44 pistol, 44 caliber, a pencil and a half thick, sitting on top of a tiny powder keg, and it can be brought into use from almost anywhere, and swivel in the bar room, in the berry bushes. A man holding the hand cannon better hold on tight because he can knock down small trees and he can knock holes into an engine block. Manly Hot Springs would be busy on a regular Thursday before the last frost. As trappers checked their lines, fishermen set up their fish camps and winter brush was cleared from property. 31-year-old Lyman, his pregnant wife Joyce, and their toddler Marshall took a family ride around to get some fresh air and see spring emerge. The Manly Roadhouse is freshly painted, fresh by any standards. The boards beneath may have been tacked on in 1903. There was a lot going on back then. It's funny that when you see them arrive at this historic building, Getting out of the rental car, brushing food flakes from their legs, they sniff sharply and take it all in. The back corner of the roadhouse where they used to stack the rubbish. The world was facing the other way back then. There was gold on the beaches of Nome. The steamships gliding over salt water, burying in the dainties and the dandies, and parts for the paddle boats going up the silty Yukon. Upriver for a month, the river, once massive, has become much narrower and splits. Bare to the starboard side, they spin the wheel to the right. Eighty more miles or so chugging upstream the far reaches of civilization. Stepping off the big steamer, the paddle wheel slowing up to the boat ramp. All the amenities of home await you, three short miles away, they arrive limping out, stiff from the horse coach. There is hot water waiting for them, fresh food already prepared. They're coming in, dry lips starting to smile through the front door into the glowing Shangri-La. The dog is barking tied up out back, the ghost of tourists pointing and taking a still photo. Tonight, 1984, 
all the way out here at the end of the road, someone has brought from the worlds a laser disc. It only took two years for a movie to make it from the big screen debut all the way out here in Manly Hot Springs. That is really astounding. Story of a Drifter Blows in the Town, starring Brian Dennehy. An old timer sees the album cover laying on the bar stool. This is the thing those two young fellers are talking about. It's glossy and airbrushed. The world has changed around him. He leans over and picks it up. The 37-year-old and the 23-year-old don't notice. The old-timer skeptically looking down at Rambo, First Blood. He remembers the floods of 56. And 1967, God's blessing unto you. There's politics in an 80-person town. The high water mark is curiously out on the flagpole. Squinting up at it, in flip-flops, the red-freckled man's wife scuttling into the place hoping for SPF whatever. He had to help fix a few graves those years. The river ice couldn't move and the choked waters rise. The laser disc slips from the sleeve and stops in the helper's old hand. He almost dropped it. What is this thing? His eyes from the cold of those long lost winters. He sees colors down in the laser disc wheel. The flashing and the tinking in the laser disc wheel at once bringing back the long lost. One of his first memories. A dog collar flicking in the lamplight tied up and barking behind the old roadhouse still. Jiffy Pop popcorn and blankets and chairs and Rambos on. A guy was there with a friend and another guy and went to take a leak. He was coming back from the table and found three cold beer bottles sweating alone with one guy kind of looking around. What happened? I went to buy us around. I was coming back to the table. I saw him walking out. Did he see you? Yeah. I don't go around a man's business, but Rambo's machine gun is blasting from the TV as the orchestra builds in stereo. He's a disabled vet. He was there. McVeigh is walking out from the glow of the gathering, trace-like in a trance. The road car creeping dips into a pothole, comes out pulling to the side. Good thing McVeigh is walking half in the gravel. The man driving the car looks up into McVeigh's face as he prowls by. His hand had went for the gun, but it had slipped to the floorboard when he went down into the pothole. His hand come down on the empty car seat. He had been kicked out of the army before he'd even gotten going. The driver craned his neck to double take. Horrible and beautiful. The man was letting the monster peek at the moon from under his coat, and they were whispering to each other. The real thousand-yard stare, setting in on the long haul. 
the road car crackling the gravel driving right on through town. Three miles down that road is just a boat ramp. The river will still be ice for another day or so. There are approximately 450 search and rescue missions every year completed by the Alaska State Troopers and the Special Emergency Reaction Team, CERT. Many believe they can disappear into the wilderness of Alaska and live in peace. There may not be another soul for miles, but the nature of the wild is constant. When Dale challenged the latest stranger to blow into town about his plans, sizing up the man's canoe and the small motor next to the Tanana River, it is likely he recalled the past search rescues. The people had begun to gather. Something was wrong. Fred Burke, 27, his wife says that he's overdue from upriver. He was going to work on the truck yesterday at 4 o'clock. He never showed up to the boat ramp. A lady had seen the strange man hanging out in town and sharpening that big old knife he has. He struck up conversation, but he never quit sharpening the knife. It's like he was obsessed with it, staring at it. Dale Kevin Madaski, 24, and Larry Joe McVeigh, 38, were going to haul a boat to their fish camp. The truck was at the boat ramp. The six-pack of beer was still on the seat. That strange drifter... Bob had went to get some stuff and it was just me and the stranger for a little while. He told me he could sniff a clam from under six feet of mud and water. I didn't like that one bit. But I told myself, don't be silly. The gravity of the situation is beginning to reveal itself. Albert Hagen Jr., 27. His parents are a wreck. He went to throw some brush into the river. He had been gone such a long time, he had just came back home to them. Lyman Klein, 36, his wife Joyce, 30. She's about four months along. I know that they aren't answering, but someone find out where they are and let us know if they need us to watch little Marshall and to call us before they head back into town. Something is going on, damn it. They called the troopers about the seven missing people. The license plate from the stranger's road car, left empty at the boat ramp, kicks everything into motion. Roger Francis Culp, 34, disappeared from Fairbanks. The neighbor gal was cutting some wood and Roger had come up and they were talking. Mike Silka, the other neighbor, he comes up and yells, This is how you do it! and started smashing a stick over the chopping block over and over, and then stomped away. Roger went to go speak with him, and she heard gunshots. She hid for days in her cabin. One thing leads to another, and by the time the troopers get back there, there's blood everywhere, and Silka and his car are gone. The troopers are looking down across the gravel and stones that make the boat ramp. A deep breath and take it all in. Wispy snowflakes begin to flutter. It is a little after three o'clock in the morning. The wet stones, finally free of the last of the sun's heat. The dark stones begin to turn white as snow sticking 
and sweeping across the boat ramp. It's hard to describe in official reports, but as the ground became white, there was a number of pools of blood in the depressions and three bloody drag marks dragged down to the water's edge. Clear the area for danger and poking around. Not much else, really. The jet rangers are powering up. A trooper in SWAT gear motions with his hand towards something hidden. The brush pulled back lets the mind assemble the pieces of a broken clock. The cling of truth in your hands. The four-wheeler. By the time Mike Silka graduated from high school, there were nearly 30,000 people in his town. No place for him to shoot his gun or live off the land like he tried to do several times. He was caught stealing weapons and gear during one of his attempts and ran out of provisions on another. Silka joined the army and found himself in Alaska's Fort Wainwright, the home of the Arctic warrior, 150 miles away from Manly Hot Springs. His army career was spotted with assault and discharging a weapon in the barracks. He was soon discharged, traveling to Illinois for a short time before a series of firearm violations convinced him to return to Alaska. It's time to head up. His boat has been spotted. Or rather, they saw Fred's boat tied up on the Zit River, the stranger's canoe slitting the water tied up behind it. The helicopters are flying up, just around the bend, really. The plan is to drop in the sniper behind him, and the choppers will come back around and drive the guy toward Davy. All green lights for go, it's either he goes hands up, or he gets shot. They come around the bend, and he's not very far up the Zit River. In fact, they flew damn near over him. They saw Fred's boat and the canoe down in the brush. He had the only useful landing zone around, and he was sitting on it. The element of surprise gone, the headsets clacking. They see him step from behind a tree and retrieve something from the canoe. Tom Davis at the stick sees the shiny side of the stock cheek reflecting in the sun and go still. It's a falling block lever action 30-06. One shot at a time. You put each shell in with your fingers. What does it pay to get rid of all that fancy stuff like auto-loading and semi-automatic? Accuracy. When the little falling block of steel comes up, and closes the vault door behind the shell casing. It's probably one of the finest weapons at this distance. The man in the right rear of the chopper is splashed in red. Troy Lynn Duncan, 34. He had the M16 with the scope. He is washed in the shockwave of the gunpowder, slumped over, and a bloody mess. Other troopers were throwing lines with grappling hooks into and across the flow of the river downstream from the boat ramp. Nothing so far. Each splunk of the heavy flesh hooks 
coming up empty. Over 1,600 people are listed in the missing persons clearinghouse maintained by the state trooper search and rescue. Of the nine people murdered by Silka, four names remain on the missing persons list. Fairbanks' Roger Culp, Albert Hagen Jr., pregnant Joyce Klein, and her two-year-old son, Marshall. The river lays heavy on a rolling world, surrounded by weeping mountains. The becoming of creeks among the massive stones, waters pouring in gently from every side as collections of gullies turn to ravines and a gorge becoming a gulch, blasting the boulders clacking under the foam, polished to handstones in the rapid. The earth is moving, always moving towards the next sunrise. A horizon of spruce trees slide toward there tomorrow. Surprised, they stumble at the cut bank of the river. The trees look down at their feet, the waters having sliced away the gravels, exposing their roots, dangling over the torrent below. Some of the fallen, always sweeping their fingers in the current, until finally snatched from the gravel and tearing downstream to be stripped and peeled. Each bend of the river, a stacked wrecking yard of trees and the parts of trees, laced and locked by the heavy river, leaning into them, curving back and forth, over and over through half dollars of gravel, the old river turned to stone, waiting for the new waters to bring them from exile, the wet stones smiling again. The man's hand is resting on the throttle handle, and he's got it opened up pretty good. Downstream you can hear it coming, the bumping whine sending out a Morse code every time the propeller loses grip. He has one piece of cargo. She sits gripping the bench wearing Fred's raincoat, bumping along, looking like a harpy, folded in on herself. The wind, the spray, the cut of the air is running over her face. Her jaw is clenched and her eyes are trembling. His cargo must weigh a thousand tons. When they went by, it almost pulled the things out of my chest. And when the wake washed around my ankles, I breathed in, and I felt like doing nothing. The touch of life is sometimes bitter. Fred would have been coming downstream. What happened? They were farther downstream than any searchers had gone. They had found Larry McVeigh and Dale within a few miles early in the search. They never made it to their fish camp. They found Lyman Klein wrapped up in a log jam, still pretty close to home. They were nearly 75 miles away now. Getting really close to that spot where you hit the Yukon. Looking for love on the interstate freeway. If trouble went off with Fred, she had known. It would have went off quick. He wouldn't have had time to take off his life vest. 
She can see him laying asleep by the wood stove when she sees him now tucked in among the log jam, her hands waving back and forth, a sound she made no one should hear. No one believed he could have floated down this far, the ugly art of pulling him in. She had heard him calling out to her. The trapper's wife had far too much practice. She had been here so many times before. The trooper with the iron sights was firing down as Silka was firing up. The man splattered in red caught fragments from the bullet that had killed young Troy, and he'd caught them in his face. The man with the iron sights watched his tracer rounds glowing an arc as they flew, piercing Silka eight times. The bloody helicopter peeling off back to medical, the other chopper with Davy and the lieutenant, had to go in alone. Silka is somewhere in the brush. They land and stalk, and find him under a gentle breeze, dead, gurgling and succumbed to the wound. Find us online at TC49 Podcast. See show notes for more information.